0: Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldkamp. A few things I have to say. One is, we personally are involved, both as a lifestyle, a ketogenic diet, but also through my 16 years of clinical practice of what is effective, what do people need to take sometimes all the time to support their ketogenic diet. You'll get bits and pieces of this ongoing week after week. It's important to be comprehensive. In one way, it's simple. and one way, it's a little bit complicated. Welcome back, everybody, for the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. Today, we have a wonderful person to interview. And I'll say wonderful. First, I'll give you my personal, and then I'll give you a formal of what she does. Wonderful because I met her, got to watch a number of her presentations at the first and second metabolic therapy conference. And I, you know, it's, you just don't know what to expect. So, Beth Zubek Kanya is our person to interview. And I would have said, up until a couple of months ago that she was focused primarily with epilepsy and associated with the Charlie Foundation. And that's a great story by itself, but she's gone way beyond that. And the reason I wanted to talk to her, because it became apparent that she is one of maybe two or three people, I would say one of two people that has the greatest experience in implementing on a one-to-one basis, the ketogenic diet. So from that, before I let her speak, I'm going to read what her background is and so you'll catch your breath at the end. So Beth is a registered dietitian and nutritionist who is uh has promoted safe and effective ketogenic therapy since 1991, which is a couple years prior to the inception of the Charlie Foundation. She's managed ketogenic diets in individuals with autism, epilepsy, of course, multiple sclerosis, mitochondrial and metabolic disorders, migraine, rare genetic disorders, several cancers and Parkinson's disease authored the modified ketogenic diet therapy one to one and two to one prescriptions Charlie with the Charlie Foundation. Numerous education guys co-organized three global ketogenic symposium and is a numerous edu- uh, is the designer of the keto diet calculator which I've used which is very thorough It's meant for practitioner and patient if you will. Um, a web-based program for calculating ketogenic diet. Beth has provided training for over 250 medical, Centers worldwide owns Ketogenic Therapies LLC and is a consultant to the Charlie Foundation, a nonprofit that educates and advocates the ketogenic therapies. Um, that's a mouthful, but that shows how how applied this is the ketogenic diet therapy. Even though the heart is my guess with you, Beth, that it has started with epilepsy. Is that correct?
1: That's right.
0: So take me a little forward. Let's do a little history. How did you get started? Because this is quite a specialty. Most Registered dieticians don't have this kind of specialty that you have.
1: You know, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, the head of neurology came into my office at Children's Hospital here in Wisconsin and said he needed somebody to do the ketogenic diet for epilepsy. And did I know anybody that would be willing to do this? And, um, I said, you know, I don't know anybody that would, but, uh, I'll, I'll take it up to our, uh, manager and long story short, I was intrigued by this notion of a diet therapy being, um, powerful in controlling seizures and, and in curing epilepsy in some cases. So, um, I, <laughs> I talked myself into it and uh and then, so that was a long time ago but um I was I, you know the first kid that I worked with that started on the diet and who was it like a different child the next day just hooked me I knew from that point on that this is what I was going to do the rest of my career because he turned around from being sort of this limp you know little boy that had no cares about anything into being you know, active and curious and doing all the little things that little boys do. Um, and, and he wasn't even seizure free. He just had better seizure control. And over the course of several months of working with him, he um, became seizure free. And I that that just impacted me so much. I just thought, how can a diet do this? And then how could I ever leave this? So it it sold me and I have been doing it ever since. But I left the hospital after several years, after about 20 years, because I kept uh, getting invitations to write papers and collaborate with people and get involved in speaking. And I just knew I would have the ability to do that if I were on my own and not stuck in a sort of a nine to five hour um, a day Job um, at the hospital, so I did. I branched out, and um, I, I've worked with. It, that's allowed me to work with people um, with many disorders, and people with epilepsy. You know, have cancer, and they have diabetes and um, other disorders. And that's sort of where this has been evolving from. That it works for many more conditions than than it was initially designed for.
0: That's amazing. I, you know, I've read about the. The, the history you go from epilepsy has been the ground zero for the ketogenic diet and it seems like all roads lead from epilepsy whether it's into diabetes or to cancer now but it, and we now we, we all know you can go back to you know fasting back with to, to Hippocrates was that 500 BC so with uh, the fasting and coming forward up into the late 1800s and so. Before insulin, my understanding is you had this thing called the Allen's diet, even though this is before type one diabetes, but it looks like they took a page from epilepsy and they had, you know, it's a calorie, calorie reduced ketogenic diet, which is just a step away from Thomas Siegfried's, you know, cancer diet. He has a few other additives in there, but it's like, this is all, you know, epilepsy is the, it, it's the, I hate to say the juiciest part because it's the saddest part as well, but it's the place with the the greatest change. And it's amazing does that history sort of like when when you see that, do you take on that history and go, this is like it's us. You know, everybody comes to talk to us because we are the center of it. I mean, that's how I see it. but it-
1: Yeah. You know, it, it is so fascinating to know that history and that Frederick Allen figured this out a long time ago. He was way ahead of his time. And he was just too radical, I think. But but he also, I think, went a little bit beyond. <laughs> um, unfortunately, some of his patients died of starvation because he did starve them. He And, and I'm referring to people with diabetes who he had fasted and, and noted that their uh, pancreas healed and recovered and they were able to make insulin again. But I think he took that a little bit too far and some of those people died and that's that's where he lost his momentum. But, um, yeah, he's, he's uh, definitely um, somebody that has helped to bring this to light. And here we are 100 years later, and this diet is still sadly underused for epilepsy, you know, which it was designed for initially, very underutilized despite the research, despite a, a randomized controlled trial um, in children and, and several – Retrospective and prospective studies in children and adults. I mean, there's a lot of research showing how effective this therapy is, and yet doctors still are not prescribing it. And th- and that's really, you know, a sad statement of our health system.
0: Absolutely. I know it's probably more politically correct to say that. And I'm, not, I'm a naturopath, and I didn't know this. And in fact, I was in medical school at the time. Uh, the Charlie Foundation First Do No Harm came out. So you would have thought that would have been like, everybody come down to the auditorium and let's watch this together. I learned about this only in the last 10 years, so I don't know how we missed that. But so it's more politically correct, say everybody's uneducated, nobody has an axe to grind. But I, I think it's a little more than that. Do you do you just sort of say the world is what it is? I don't know if it's lack of education or per, uh, purposeful avoidance because of other incentives. I mean, do you have any sense about that or...
1: A, there's no money in this diet, right? Who gets paid when you put somebody on a ketogenic diet? Even a nutritionist in the hospital probably does not get paid for that. The hospital probably doesn't get reimbursed for that. So that's one of the huge issues that we face. And I've been trying to change that by working with my professional association to get practice guidelines published, which, which we just did. Um, a few months ago and so that there are there is now a consensus of in my profession of you know how this diet should be applied and when and all those good things and then there's a consensus report of mostly physicians but some of us nutritionists I'm the second author on it that was just published actually a couple weeks ago um, uh, with global input on use of this therapy for epilepsy in children and there, there will be a, a new one out soon for adults too but those you know those are big change agents that that's the foundation that makes the healthcare professionals comfortable when they know that there's publications to back them up um so that's yeah very important steps to have but we still need more um to get <laughs> physicians and uh others on board with making this available at all medical centers rather than just academic medical centers, which is, you know, you mentioned that I train medical centers. Most of where the centers I go to are academic medical centers that are on top of the cutting-edge therapies. Your little community hospitals and hospitals in smaller cities, um, they, they just don't have the, the ability to do this yet. I will say
0: yet. Yeah, here's it, this. This uh, reminds me of the origins of the whole Charlie Foundation story and the oomph that Charlie Abrams sort of gave the whole thing. Do you want to touch on that briefly? Because it, it is about. Uh, it's not. What I've learned in my naivete of being a naturopathic doctor, it's not about having the right answer or being truthful. It's, it's about that, of course. Uh, but it's about having the microphone or having the platform or the ability to get the word out and, you know, enter Charlie Abrams and Charlie.
1: Yeah, so um, you're exactly right that Charlie was um, meant to be a change agent. I don't think he even um, comprehends that. Charlie had seizures starting at about age one and, um, he was tried on the typical anti-seizure medications. Actually, they tried him on seven different medications in different combinations and the seizures didn't get better. They actually got worse. And then he had an epilepsy surgery and, um, his dad, Jim went to the medical library at UCLA, which is close to where they live and uh read through a lot of medical textbooks, thinking there's got to be something else, and he came across a book that had a chapter on the ketogenic diet and he took this to Charlie's uh, doctor and said, "What about this therapy?" And the doctor said, "Well, we don't do that here you know and And Jim said, "Well, where do they do it?" And he said, "Well, I think they do it at Johns Hopkins and Jim said well, we're going there, and you know, soon he was off with his family to Johns Hopkins. Got him admitted, and with a few in a few days of starting the diet, his seizure stopped completely. And so, once you know, once they got back and were sort of in disbelief, that you know how drastic this change was, and he was also taken off of a, all of his anti-seizure medications, which is not typical uh, for the process of going on the ketogenic diet. But he had a very, um, aggressive doctor, Dr. Uh, John Freeman, who is no longer with us, but who, he kept the diet alive for many years along with his dietitian before no one else was really doing it in the country at the time. But, um, the family, uh, Charlie's family realized that, you know, that they were lucky and had Jim not pursue this, you know, what would they have been dealing with, you know, Charlie would have been in a wheelchair, probably with a feeding tube due to his diagnosis of Lennox-Gastaut, which is a really bad seizure disorder that um, it's like the worst seizure disorder you can have. So they started the foundation to advocate this therapy for others And then in um, 2012, we um, changed the name from Ketogenic Diet Therapies to Charlie Foundation for Ketogenic Diet Therapies. So we wanted to open the doors to everyone who could benefit from it. And certainly by this time, studies were coming out about its use for diabetes and for cancer and psychiatric disorders. So we did not want to limit the diet, because they're similar for all conditions. You know, you, you really have this basic high-fat, low-carb, moderate-protein diet that you adjust to, um, and they're all individualized. A ketogenic diet should be individualized to make sure the nutrition part of it is sufficient. So so we open the doors to all comers who could benefit from it, and and that's the way the Charlie Foundation has been um Moving since then. And I want to share with you, I can email this to you, Carl. I don't know if you can share something visual, but we just had a uh, cartoon design showing um, it's called Keto versus Goliath. And it's a picture of Charlie (laughs) flinging a, a pound of butter at this giant with a shield and the shield has, you know, insurance companies, American heart association, medical systems, um, written on it. So it, it just kind of depicts what we're up against yes. in getting the word out.
0: Please, please, please send that to me. And uh, okay. we have a Facebook group. I wanted to uh, stay on that particular note. So when, um, Jamie, Jim Amherst got Charlie to start the diet uh, back then, back then, my understanding is, and maybe it's still the case, is that they started with a couple days fast and then they started a diet. Is is that correct?
1: That's true. That's true. That is what had been traditionally done. And the fasting is just a rapid fire way of getting into ketosis. Right. I'll tell you, um, I, having worked in a pediatric hospital for 20 years and working with this diet, I, I thought the fasting was um, a little harsh and unnecessary. So I um, went to our medical supervisor and and got permission to strip away the fasting so that you usually fasted for two days or until ketones were large. And uh, I realized that these little kids were going into ketosis so quickly, and then they wouldn't eat because they were kind of lethargic. And they'd be in the hospital for an entire week. And it was horrible for the family. But I thought, what if we just start feeding them the diet and not fast them. And we did a, we did a review and we found that they go into ketosis um, either way, and it doesn't change the efficacy of the diet. So since then, other, uh, other centers have reported the same, that non-fasting does not change how well the diet works. And it's you get kids in and out of the hospital quicker. They're less likely to catch bugs in the hospital. Um, so it's just it's just a, a slicker way to get them on the diet gradually. And then now that I don't work in a hospital and I work from home with people all over the world, I even took that tone that down a little bit. When I start children or adults, I do it over a period of a few weeks to get them acclimated. We just change one meal over a week to keto. And, t- and they start going into ketosis gradually, and they don't seem to get that keto flu that's, you know, that's very common with a rapid startup. So it's a, just a gentler method of getting onto the diet.
0: Does that have any, per your experience, does that have any correlation correlation with sustaining the diet for them? In other words, they more gently get into it. Do they stay on it for, for years and it becomes part of their lifestyle, or you know they're just into it and they're going to uh, they get annoyed with it and they're going to quit you know down the road is there any sort of
1: I'm I'm glad you brought that up cuz people think that you have to do this diet forever for epilepsy we actually use it short term in most cases in about 97% of cases for children we just use it short term so for the example of Charlie Abrams he was on the diet for five years, and that's a little longer than normal, but what happened was they tried taking him off at three years, which is typical, and his seizures came back. So they put him back on and waited a year, took him off, and his seizures came back. So they the third time was the charm. The third time they took him off, his seizures did not come back, and now he's 25 years old, I think. He hasn't had a seizure you know, since way back when, when he was five years old, when he was coming off the diet. So, but most of the kids I've worked with are on for two, maybe three years. Some have been on for shorter and are completely seizure-free. There's um, a few rare genetic disorders where we keep kids on long-term um, because they have an impairment in the ability to use glucose in the brain. So those are, those are very rare genetic disorders, but um, those kids stay on and we use a little bit more liberal diet so it's easier for them and you know they don't have to weigh foods all the time. And they um a lot of them will drink MCT oil because it's very ketotic, it's very ketone producing, and it, it allows them to eat more carbohydrates. So we we have some tricks to keep them going so that they you know, that they stay in ketosis. And and as they get older, they, you know, by then they're into the routine of it. And they they realize the difference if if they cheat or not cheat. And um, and most of them do quite well.
0: Great. So they have a basic understanding. So they might say they're off the diet, but it doesn't mean they're going to go to uh, birthday cake and drink beers and have, uh, you know, Captain Crunch for breakfast anymore.
1: Right, right, you know that that transition, the teenage transition time has been pretty tough for some of the kids that I've worked with. I, I know one uh, man I'm thinking of in particular who um, was very compliant with the diet. He actually had a feeding tube because his epilepsy was so bad and he couldn't function and then he was on the ketogenic diet and he was able to eat again and they removed the feeding tube and he got off of medications. he was doing so well, and then he wanted to go live with his friends. And he started drinking beer and eating pizza, and he, he, yeah, he was having some major seizures. So it took him a while to really get on track, um, and he he definitely uh, is one of those kids that has to be a, be on it long term. But um, yeah, some some kids just know intuitively what they can and can't have, and it's amazing how these little kids even know. You know, like a, I have a four year old who um, his sibling offered him a cookie without his parents knowing, and he turned it down. He just knew he couldn't have it. So that's that's pretty typical of a lot of the kids that I've managed.
0: Interesting. So when we talk of the diet, as I saw you present in one of your presentations, can't, can't remember if it was online or not, um, for those way outside of the specific epilepsy field, we think there's this one diet, but there's not. You know, there's an essence for, and then it's variations, and then it goes on from there. So, you know, when we talk about the classic ketogenic diet from Peterman or Wilder, whoever we want to cite, the medium chain MCT diet, modified Atkins, low glycemic, do you have a preference? Or are you just sort of see these as four tools in your bag, and if one didn't work, we'll go to the next, and no, the other didn't work, we'll go to the next, and in there, someplace, we'll find the right combination.
1: Right. Um, So I'm glad you pointed that out. There are variations in these diets and the um, classic ketogenic diet and the MCT oil diet. Those are the old original ketogenic therapies um, that, um, you know, that textbook and very controlled and um, very effective and then we have what we call the hybrid diets, the newer diets, the modifications in those, and those were designed to make it easier so that um, people could a stay on it longer and that adults would be more compliant so the idea really is to find the diet that the patient finds will work best for them and and there's we we at the Charlie Foundation have some good education. Um, guidelines for that, so they can kind of compare and contrast the different diets and understand what the difference is. For example, the classic ketogenic diet, let's say a three to one ratio, you have to weigh your foods on a scale, and and someone might say, oh my gosh, that sounds so labor intensive. Well, it is, but you know what? It works. Well, what if, you know, that's a little bit too much work for my family right now because we're, mom and I are both working full time and the kid is at babysitters and we just don't think that's going to work because there's something easier that we could start with and, and the operational word here is start. We may start with something more liberal and then see how that goes, see what degree of ketosis is and maybe the degree of seizure control and if, if things are great, we just go along with that plan. But oftentimes people find that you know we want to we want to see if we can get a little bit better seizure control because we're down like 50 percent of the previous seizures. But something is working here, and we want to pursue this. So maybe we will start weighing foods. So that's very typical of of uh, working with a family is get them at a point that they're comfortable with one of the diets, and then adjust as you go along. Um, another example is I I tend to choose classic keto for all children under age five. I just think it takes all the guesswork out of the diet for the family to be able to have meal plans with weights of each of the foods. So they just weigh out the foods and they feed it. They don't have to make any decisions beyond that. And so then once we get going on that um, and see what kind of results we get from there, then we bring in MCT oil if we need to make ketones stronger. And so that's not changing the diet very much. That's just incorporating a a different fat, you know, reducing maybe some of their butter or their olive oil and bringing in MCT oil three times a day and that can beef up ketosis. And maybe that's the magic change that gets rid of those other seizures that, uh, that they continue to have. So there's a lot of little adjustments, um, and I just, um, it actually, it's at the printer right now. I just finished with a collaboration of, of two other nutritionists and a physician on a, a professional guide for managing ketogenic therapies, all these little trips and tics, uh, tips about um, oils and adjusting the diet for age, and if a child can't be eating by mouth for a while and needs to be fed a liquid diet, or if they're in the hospital and they're really sick and they need to be fed through their vein, how do you adjust for that? So all these tips and tricks in 122 pages in a little pocket guide um, currently at the printer, but it took us about two years to, to get that into print. And uh, I can't wait for it to, for me to be able to distribute it, because I feel like it's going to save so much time and help people understand all of the ins and outs of using this therapy, because there's a lot of that.
0: Uh, absolutely. Uh, 122 pages didn't sound like a little guide. It sounds like a comprehensive guide, but splitting hairs. I'm glad that it is 122 pages. So on the MCT uh, oil diet, do you ever go like kind of one step further and sort of split the the C10 from the C8, and say, "Hey, let's do C8 more because it's a little more ketogenic," um, and you know, make mayo or whatever the different sauces are. But you know, separating that out, does that have any differentiation that you've stumbled upon or implemented?
1: Yeah, um, actually, that that does, and I have a page sort of addressing that very point. And and for your listeners, I don't know if they're. Uh, educated on the different chain links of MCT oils, but MCT oil, um, most of it comes from coconut oil in this country, and there are different carbon chain links. And so they're identified by numbers. So there's uh, C8, C10, C12, uh, is there 14? I yeah. think there's then 14 to- and six, even 16, yep. right? Yep. And so um, some of the cheaper oils have a combination of all of those. And, um, and then some of the more refined oils, like the C8 that you're talking about that I, that I know you also, um, produce, it may just be that one carbon eight chain length. And there is some research behind that. It is more ketogenic and it may be a more ideal oil for epilepsy. Um, so I found this out before I met you, Carl, I kind of stumbled into a situation which made me realize that there are differences in how those chains um, can affect a person. So I had a child with autism that was on uh, a kind of a low-cost MCT oil, and um, uh, the family ran out of it, and they went and got a different oil a um, different brand, and his behavior he had some, you know, behavior outbursts that were not typical of him. And they said, The only thing that we've changed is this oil. So then they went and bought the old oil, put him back on it, and the behavior outburst went away. And then they well, just thought, Well, let's just try a couple doses of this because we bought a whole bottle of this and I hate to waste <laughs> it, and it's yeah. not cheap. And the same thing happened. He had this behavior outburst. So they called me and I said, you know what, I I do think it's probably the different chain links. Let me check into it. So I contacted the companies and I found out, sure enough, one had, you know, a very little C8 and more C10, C12, C16. And um, and then the other one was um, not pure C8, but it had uh, quite a bit more C8 in it. So then I thought, oh, my gosh, I never realized that these could have an impact on brain health. Um, so I contacted about a dozen companies to find out their carbon content. And that's one of the pages in this, it's a chart just listing the carbon content, uh, percentages of each of these products.
0: Dr. Stephen Conne he's a wonderful guy. And I, I love listening to him and he's been interviewed and I've talked to him and go back and forth all about, uh, C8 in particular. Um, C10 has its value as well, but, uh, he's big into C8 and he, he is kind of the mover and shaker on the research for the C8. And that's a lot where I get a lot of my information from and, 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 and kibitzing back and forth with whatever little thing that I come up with and he verifies it or says it's irrelevant or whatever. Um, but the other thing I wanted to add is that uh, in the U S um, you're right about the MCT oil, which is what we' call it the, the mixed products out there are from coconut oil, but the C8s um, nearly hundred percent, even though they don't want to claim it, are actually all palm oil derived, and it 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 doesn't matter to the consumer. Uh, to me it matters because uh, palm oil has become such a successful agricultural crop in Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, now uh, South America that it's uh, certainly devastated part of the inherent uh, rainforest jungle. And so uh, we try you try to look for sustainably harvested, and it's such a touchy issue when you go to ask whatever company it is that made their CA and say, Oh, is this sustainably harvested? They have no verification of it. I mean, there are RSPO is the answer to that, but it's a little bit of a plug. But, um, when you see the both sides of it, it it's just, it's a huge issue. Um, and it's an interesting issue as well. And it doesn't mean that coconuts any better. It just means coconuts an unregulated industry and it's, it's having an its impact. So like everything else it affects the, you know, the environment, m- merely FYI. But, um, I do think it's remarkable the C8. Some people think, oh, because it's an even number, you know, the, the ketones are four and the C and the, and the C8 eight, so you got two ketones out of every. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, but I, I don't know. But uh, that's neat to hear. I wanted to drill down on some other aspects as well because when we now we're going to go to food in in terms of just you implementing these diets to so all these different fields. Now it doesn't have to be just epilepsy. Are there certain foods? And I mean, um, uh, like dairy or not dairy, how do you feel about that? Um, you know, where are you on the fiber side of things? Uh, irrelevant or no, it's relevant. Um, are there certain things that you pull out and saying, you know, I a certain family of foods that I try to shy people away from, certainly the refined carbohydrates, I got that in the grains and in the, the starches, but or do you have strong opinions about something else in there?
1: Uh, so, let's start with dairy because that, that's a bit of a hot topic. Um, I, most of the people that I work with are able to tolerate dairy, they've never had a problem with dairy, except for some of the kids with autism, who I, I definitely support parents when they say, we don't do dairy and we don't do gluten. The gluten is very easy, the, ketogenic, the classic ketogenic diets are intended to be gluten-free because gluten breaks down into carbs very quickly. Um, so that's not an issue, but, um, so I've done a lot of dairy free, particularly for the autism community. And I support that, but, um, for others who don't have, uh, seemingly don't have a sensitivity to it or any GI issues, um, I like to incorporate it. Um, dairy fats have, especially butter and ghee have short chain fatty acids. So we were talking a lot about medium chain and now here's another, you know, great, a chain of fat that's unique, mostly to dairy, um, and it has many benefits. It's food for the, our colonocytes. Um, it helps to make change K1 to K2, which is really important for heart health. I mean, it is just a unique fat. Um, not to mention that dairy is, you know, like butter is so tasty, makes foods taste tasty. Um, cream, and especially heavy whipping cream, can be delicious for making you know sauces and gravies for keto and whipped cream and berries who doesn't love eating whipped cream with berries you know on keto and I follow keto myself so I've really gotten into the foodie part of this because um you know I'm, I'm a picky eater in terms of I, I rarely go to restaurants because I always think I can make food better than the restaurant <laughs> and um you know I don't know where their food comes from and I certainly don't go to fast food restaurants at all. But um, I, I kind of pride myself into eating a, a pretty clean diet. But, I, you know, it is good to have some variety. And I was vegetarian for many years. I was um, uh, lacto-ovo-pollo, which is, it means I eat dairy, fish, and poultry. And I kind of got away from that when I got married because my husband was a big meat eater. And I didn't want to be making, you know— two different meals. So I, we do, but he's cut way back on meat and I've introduced a little bit of meat into my diet, um, mostly poultry and fish though. But, but at any rate, getting away from what you originally asked me, I think dairy can be, um, a very good component and certainly offers, um, good culinary elements to a keto diet. And, you know, for the classic ketogenic diet, very rich in dairy. We use whipping cream instead of milk for children, and butter was the main source of fat. Now, um, when I came along, um, started working with this diet 25 years ago, I thought, wait a minute, where where are we getting our essential fatty acids on this diet? You know, they're missing. Um, so I used olive oil to get omega threes, and then um, there's vitamins in olive oil. You know, there's CoQ10 and vitamin A and um, avocado is high, and avocado oil are high in vitamin E, and avocado oil is the better oil to cook with. Uh, uh, olive oil is is heat sensitive, so um, I think using both of them is like the best mix to use with a ketogenic diet. Um, in terms of fiber, uh, I'm not sure. Do you mean like adding a fiber supplement or including foods with fiber?
0: Um. Well, kind of the, well, both actually, you know, some people that outside of the epilepsy and and the ketogenic diet for therapeutic purposes, sort of, they're saying, well, what they talk about, what are keto foods or not? And so as they come in and there's even, we now know there's a lot of people under this umbrella of ketogenic diet. So there's way down there, the zero carb, which are primarily carnivores plus fat, and that's it. You know, and then you have all others are vegetarian keto. That's a harder way to go, but they can do it, supposedly. A lot of work. And so within that um, is the fiber issue. You know, those who move away from greens towards a zero-carb way of looking at it, they go, well, where's the fiber? It's, uh, it's also fiber in the meat as well. But it ends up being that issue. And then you see products like that are, you know, net carbs, so which makes fiber the, the indirect issue. You know, with or without fiber, you know, do you... Do you have any sort of concern about? Not going to say concern. Um, uh, attention around that, or you go well. You know who cares? It's delete their veggies. It's it's just not in your way of looking at. it. It's just not that important of an issue to pay attention to.
1: Oh, well, I think it is an important issue. First of all, I think it's uh, total carb, or are we counting the carbohydrate minus fiber, which we call net carb. Um. So I think it's fair to ask that because if you're only allowing yourself 20 grams of carb a day and you're counting the fiber as carb, that's really restrictive, especially if you're eating most of your carb from vegetables, which is what I encourage. If we take away, if we subtract out the fiber and just say, just count the absorbable carb, which is that net carb, oh, then it seems like you get a lot more. Vegetables, right? You do, because you're not counting that fiber. So fiber is carbohydrate that we don't digest, don't absorb, it doesn't affect your glucose. So I agree that naturally occurring fiber in foods, we don't count we don't need to count them on keto. So in Keto Diet Calculator, which is the program that you mentioned earlier, um, I have a column that is net carb and a column that's fiber so people can see how much fiber the food has, but they will only be counting the net fiber and their total carbohydrate. Now, I think what I get concerned about is when people are eating processed keto bars that have inulin or other fibers added to them. That's not, you know, they may be naturally occurring, but because they've processed them into a bar, they might be absorbed differently, and I'm not, I don't feel as comfortable about saying we don't count that, Um, especially the, uh, like, fructooligosaccharides, you know, some of those get absorbed. Um, So what what I do to circumvent that and not to have an argument with people about it is, like, see how it affects you. Check your glucose before you eat that food and then after and um i just checked i just did that the other day i had uh, a glass of wine that supposedly had a fraction of a gram of carbohydrate in it and i didn't really believe it because i tasted it and then, man i thought well this is really good and it's a drier wine but i don't believe it's carb nearly carbohydrate free like the company claims so i checked my glucose before i drank it and i checked it again 10 minutes after i drank it my glucose it was at 85 and it went up to 105. So I know that there definitely was more carbohydrate and it definitely affected me. Now it may have affected somebody differently. Um so and and just I'm not I'm not uh Criticizing the company that makes this because they these products are evaluated in a laboratory by machines. They're not people that evaluate these. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's not tried. It's sent through a person's body to see what comes out. It's it's evaluated by a machine. But in my body, that carbohydrate got completely absorbed and it shot up my glucose um, and knocked me out of ketosis for a little bit.
0: I love the fact that you. You still do your own testing because those are the great stories. Uh, I come up, I have two questions. Uh, I'll stay with this one. The value of monitoring. Do you whether we're talking about? I'm going to call them patients, by the way. You might call them clients. So all your patients that uh, you work with, do you require that? Hey, they have to have a ketometer and a glucometer, and this is going to be our you know our ongoing vocabulary. We'll be talking about what does this do for your ketones and your and your glucose. I mean, do you require that? or do you go oh you can just have your uh your urine strips and I mean where where do you fall on that
1: Yeah so really good question I tend to start people out with urine strips just to get them going because of the mainly because the expense factor and urine strips are fairly cheap and then once we get going and then they start Acclimating to this and getting more concerned about things, or getting curious, then I, you know, then I say, "Would you like, you know, this might be a good time now to start checking glucose and ketones?" Um, I had a little four-year-old with epilepsy who I started on the diet, and I brought out the glucometer to show mom and dad how to to check, uh, to to get a drop of blood and to put it in the strip and the little boy ran away and hid he was just mortified that his parents would be doing this to him and they looked at me and they said we can't do this and i said oh don't worry about it we'll just do urine so for that child we just did urine on, and and when he goes in to see his doctor they do they draw blood work to get his you know levels of different biomarkers and they'll check his ketones at that time so that worked for that family But um, most of the adults that I work with, especially adults who have either cancer or other um, serious conditions, they tend to... you know, eventually move over to doing glucose and ketone. And I I really like the monitors that check both glucose and ketones because the the ketones are great. To to get a ketone value is wonderful, but to get a glucose value, it tells you so much more information. It tells you, and the trend especially, usually not one reading, um, but seeing the trend over time can be feedback for what you're doing or what you're not doing so that you can adjust
0: absolutely yeah no again you're talking about the keto mojo i think that's great Uh, um what a neat idea and it's you need you need to make all the little factors that make the ketogenic diet difficult less difficult and that's one of the factors that get this and they don't have to you know have the different monitors and so on and so forth um i wanted to go back just a second for the dairy thing uh i love the idea that you're focusing on the fats what do you think about the casein and the whey, you know, the cheeses and uh, the casein in the whey. So the casein is has a huge uh, huge case of morphine, you know, a, you know, it's an opiate, you know, and has a huge addictive quality to it. The, the fat parts, the butter and all the near butter products really don't. That's one thing. And then you can go down the road of, you know, what that's, what problems that might cause. The whey, in my understanding, has, uh, is insulinogenic. I mean, they're both are, one's more quickly insulinogenic and the other is more slowly insulinogenic as in, in bodybuilders, they love that aspect, you know, it's a, and you know, they're right up there next to insulin and they even will take insulin to, to bulk up more. So you have that and the degree, I guess that insulin is a, uh, a factor to these various situations, if not specifically to some cases of, uh, epilepsy, it might be, you know, uh, a problematic thing to bring into the diet. What are your thoughts on that? That's just me casting. So,
1: um, so again, I think you're, what I, I was trying to get at was you're talking about more like, um, cheese and yogurt and yeah. And I do discourage both of those a, because cheese has carb. It's quite a bit of carb. Cheese is made from milk, right? So it's quite a bit of carb. Um, if, if people miss the taste of cheese and, and really want to incorporate once in a while, an, a really good aged cheese like Parmesan, an aged Parmesan has is quite low in carb, high in fat, um, but I don't I I have a woman who I just started on the diet and I she kept asking me for meals with cheese and I said, What is it with you and cheese? She goes, I eat cheese all the time. And then I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is the problem, you know. She eats cheese two or three times a day. So I do think um, we need to get away from the cheese. Um, there and as far as yogurt goes, I would gear people to um uh, there's a really good coconut yogurt, high-fat coconut yogurt that's out. There's If you're in Wisconsin, there's a company called Slowpokes that makes a fabulous um, kefir with coconut, and it's just delicious. But um, the other thing is you're not going to be eating like 12 or 16 ounces of yogurt at a time. You're going to be eating maybe three or four ounces um, so that the amount is small. But you're right. I do gear people away from... Cheese and and uh, um, yogurt because of the mainly because of the carb content, but the casein is a, is another good point, and the way the insulin um, stimulating properties it, they are also concerning. So yeah. those are, are not typical keto foods.
0: Right, right. Yeah, well, there are in some groups, but you're right. I mean, this is where I come at it. Before I got into keto, just being a naturopathic physician, it was like and and taking people off of dairy was one of those things, especially with autism, as you as you reference. But you know, now I have this sort of per my experience. If I ran down the street and randomly, you know, bumped into somebody and I said, you know, do me a favor, stop all dairy for two months and let's talk in two months, their life would change. You know, I said, you know, even if they didn't even tell me there was a chief complaint. I mean, it's it there, so there's going from I've seen its effect by people going off this to trying to now dig into why is that it's a it's a bigger issue whether you want to get it IGF-1 and all these other things but it's a complex food that has Mm -hmm. issues
1: (laughs) yeah I am even aware of a story of a a little a child this must have been like a three-year-old who um was drinking uh six seven glasses of milk a day and not eating very much. And the child had seizures. And the dietitian who's a colleague of mine, um, she looked at the nutrition intake and said, wow, that's a lot of milk. You know, why don't we just start with cutting back on the milk? Because you're not going to get that kind of you're not going to get that on the diet. In fact, she said, I'm going to have you try some heavy cream instead of milk, that child's seizures stopped, and they never had to put him on the ketogenic diet. Wow.
0: Wow. It's, I appreciate you saying that, because it's, I I am kind of facetious in my reference and I talk about dairy as a politically incorrect issue to talk about in the, in the keto world, because pe- <laughs> people don't want it's, to, it's like, don't do that. You know, yeah. it's got a problem and, and nobody, we already have enough. Don't do that, you yeah. know, t- to add that into it. Um, I have, we have like three more minutes to talk so you can get out the door to get your, uh, some business done, but boy, I have so much to talk to you about. And so I'm just going to preference that for another call. I hope in the future, cause I would love to drill down, um, and I just wanted to say that I'm staring at uh, an abstract from PubMed. And by the way, everybody, she has plenty of uh, research papers on PubMed. Please put in her name next to that in brackets put author and you'll see them all pop up. But this one in 2016 you've, that you've probably now forgotten about because it was so long ago, was towards a cancer-specific diet. And I go, isn't that interesting that Beth is working on this? You know, and, and um, it's, you know, t- we all think of Tom Segfried and maybe Dom to an extent and so on and so forth. But it's like, what are your thoughts in that direction, regardless of Tom's work? I mean, you have your own experience.
1: Yeah, well, I'll have to tell you the whole reason I got into nutrition is because my father had cancer and died very young he died when he was 52 and he started looking to nutrition after he got beat up by you know the standard practice of chemo and radiation and uh and there was nothing left for him so he turned to nutrition that really piqued my interest so um, that's been something that I have, you know, never forgotten. And, um, it's what drew drew me to treating food as medicine. And, and, uh, um, I, I've seen it happen and I, and I believe it. And, um, you know, I think it was his, his lifestyle and he was a smoker. He was a smoker of the short cigarettes from years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, nutrition wasn't really a focus when he was growing up. So, um, so at any rate, yep, yeah, I, I will just say that, uh, I'm completely, um, in the realm of knowing how impactful your diet can have on flipping your genes toward developing cancer because we all have cancer cells in our bodies. All of us, even, even those healthy people that are nutritionists, we all have these um, cancer cells in our body, and it just takes some kind of abuse for us to flip those genes, for those epigenetics to change. Um, and, um, and and the way you can prevent that is by treating food as medicine.
0: How Hippocratic, eh? Um, <laughs> I'm going to let you get off in a second, but your segue into epigenetics is a big door to go through and it makes me want to ask about: Has have you uh, or any of the people you've worked with, which are now many, um, looked into any sort of the, the SNPs, you know, single nuclear polymorphisms that are? I'm thinking about towards folate metabolism and methylation and so on and so forth, relative to any of the things you look into, whether it's epilepsy or, you know, B12. Yeah.
1: Twi- Probably the largest group that I have worked with where we have had the um, methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase uh, test, MTHFR test, is um, a group of kids that I work with that have a rare genetic disorder called Prader-Willi syndrome. And almost all of them have had that test, and almost all of them are homozygous, which puts them at risk for, um, you know, for developing uh, conditions that are associated with Prader-Willi syndrome, including obesity, diabetes, um, behavior, cognitive issues, and so on. So these children are all on supplements because this has been looked into. Um, so they, I wasn't the one that, uh, was involved in that, but I was involved in getting them all on a modified ketogenic diet to see if it would help one of the worst, symptoms of this this disorder and that symptom is a voracious appetite. So they develop at about, uh, you know, between age one and three, they develop um, the inability to be satiated. They're just hungry, 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 hungry all the time. And um that typically leads to obesity and all the other issues that go along with obesity. So what we did was we put these kids on a modified ketogenic diet to see if it would help with appetite control. And nine of the ten children that we did this to had significant improvement in appetite control. And um, we, we looked at actually uh, six different um, factors, um, including behavior, energy level, uh, you know their weight, weight, um, and quality of life and so forth. And, and many of them had uh, all of them had improvement in quality of life. That's probably the most significant point. But that nine out of 10 of them had significant improvement in appetite so much so that the parents were able to take them into social situations and not worry about them gorging themselves mm. on the food that was available.
0: Wow. I'm going to have to cut you off because you got to get out the door to get some yes. work done. Okay. Um, but I would love to reserve the right to to pick up and uh, to go into some of these other issues. It's just fascinating to talk to you. So we'll communicate on that later. And thank you very, very, very much, Beth. You know, oh, you're
1: so welcome. It was a joy to, to chat with you.
0: Oh, absolutely. It was. Now go do your work. Take care. All
1: right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.
0: I just want to follow up on uh, the conversation I just had with Beth. Uh, She is so comprehensive and such a genuine person that you obviously got with that. And all these specific conditions that can be treated as with the same therapy, with modification of the same therapy, is just such an endorsement for the ketogenic diet and that it's endless sort of revelations of yet another benefit. Um, So I'll leave it at that. And I certainly hope to talk to her again uh, and to pick her brains at some of these other issues. We, I, I didn't even get through one tenth of the questions that I had for her. So with that, um, thank you for today's episode, listening to today's episode of the Keto Naturopath. And if you have any questions, send them in to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. For anybody who has any questions, feel free to contact me on our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath, same name as our podcast. I'm open to any questions and we plod through the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy week after week.